Hello and welcome to The Yard's brand new, perfectly formed, clean, shiny podcast. My name's Hugh and uh, for those that you don't know, The Yard is a health food shop, organic cafe, event space, music venue in Oldley Edge in South Manchester. This podcast will just be a chance to have some longer conversations with some of the brilliant people we've had through our doors that have put on events with us, friends with us, generally talking about human consciousness, spirituality, food, clean eating all sorts of things from all sorts of wonderful people. So to open our podcast series, uh, I'll bring you a conversation I had with John Paul Mertinez, who's a UK-based film producer, filmmaker. He came up to host the Candlelight Cinema screening of Occupy Love with us last week, and I grabbed him before um, to have a chat in our caravan. He'd come all the way up from Hertfordshire um, to visit us, and I had a brilliant conversation with him about the films he's made with the Kogi tribe in Colombia, and about the lessons to be learned from from people all over the world. So I will stop talking and leave you with the conversation. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you find it interesting. It was very interesting for me, and I promise it'll be interesting for you. Okay, thank you very much, John Paul. Um, I just wonder if you briefly describe uh, what you're doing here today with us at the yard. Mm-hmm. So I'm here at the yard um, to show a film called Occupy Love, which was made by uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Velcro Ripper. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a film about um, the global rippling and rising of heart consciousness across the planet. And uh, I met Velcro in London uh, probably a year, a year and a half uh, ago uh, when he premiered the film in, in London. And uh, we just struck up a, a, a filmmaker friendship from there and keep bumping into each other at different, in different parts of the world, either socially or, or when, when we're working mm-hmm. filming. I was wondering where you see, like you said, well, the film's about the growing sort of flowering of global consciousness, where do you see cinema and video and information sharing as as its role within that process? I think it's vitally important. I think what we're seeing now is the the technical term is the democratisation of media. Everybody's got access to a a smartphone and a camera and everybody's got a voice. So Mm -hmm. it really opens the door and the playing field for everybody to be able to communicate what's going on for them in their home, in their community, and as that connects the dots around the world, um, we're seeing new voices emerging and a real potential for new ways of looking at life when we realize the, the unnatural interconnected state. You know, the, the, the world um, through technology is more connected than it ever has been probably in, in the history of human civilization. Mm-hmm. And I think that brings with it to potential huge potential opportunity. And how did you done a lot of work with the Kogi tribe in Colombia? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So traditionally you get the sort of Western idea of technical superiority and development as sort of overarching, we know everything, we can fix everything. So wondering how you see the sort of now maybe with this democratization of media and things are more of an exchange of information and things that we in Europe and the US can learn from from knowledge that has been grown in a bit of completely different way to how we used to see that thing increasing and expanding. Sure, I mean the Ko- the Kogi are a very interesting group group of people. First of all, they're uh, they're a pre Aztec civilization. They've maintained their culture and traditions for millennia, and um, since the, the the conquest of South America, uh, have remained in isolation uh, intentionally because they didn't want our Western ways 
to influence their society um, and I think they're very wise in, in, in doing so. Um, it was only 25 years ago in 1990 where they came forward and decided they needed to make a film um, with the BBC um, called From the Heart of the World, The Elder Brother's Warning and that had again a, a rippling effect on, on human consciousness. It was at the beginning of the, the, the green movement really before that really got going. Um, it was nothing like you see, see it today um, and they had a profound warning um, that we can't continue in the way that we are um, right now. Um, and they hoped, that, they hoped at the time that was going to have a huge effect and it influenced many people's lives. Mm -hmm. But uh, it didn't have the, the I guess, the, the governmental or systemic uh, changes um, that were necessary, um, which is why they needed to f decided to follow up with a second film, um, uh, which we released uh, in uh, 2012. Um, and we're showing that all around the world still, um, still to this day. So really where, where their concerns come in, there's, there's a there's kind of dual aspects to that. We've got an indigenous culture who need to speak out. They can feel, see, their traditions are guiding them and showing them what we're doing wrong. Yeah. And at risk to themselves, they're coming and sharing what they know. And it's up to us to respond. But at the same time, um, Having spent time with them recently um, in the mountains, uh, we're at a point in time, I think, and feel and believe, where things aren't working the way they always have. And even for the Kogi, their traditional ways, they're having to find their ways for those to work in the current, yeah, in the current world, mm. you know. Um, and that, that's hugely challenging for them. And so we've got really this, this melting pot of cultures and ideas and technology and I just hope and pray that we can we can find a way for some of that to begin to connect up and make sense you know we, we are living in a connected world we're more connected than we ever before but are we really going to use that potential and opportunity to do something decent with it you know the big term in the alternative community is paradigm shift where's this paradigm mm -hmm. shift going to happen we're kind of seeing sprouts of that coming through with with alternative energy and and the like um, but I, I think there's more than that that's required it's a it's a paradigm shift in human culture and human values and consciousness mm -hmm. that's at the heart of what's required um, I was at um, the Paris climate talks recently filming there and uh, I was part of a, a, a beautiful group of um, spiritual teachers and elders from all over the world there was 14 different uh, different people that came together from different faith traditions backgrounds uh, including uh, Na Native American uh, Hinduism uh, Christian and the theme of that those talks were filmed uh, 12 short talks there and the theme was the inner dimensions of climate change mm -hmm. and I think that's that's the core of what's important I knew as soon as I saw that panel coming together and was invited to come along and be present there, that it had to be recorded and those messages had to be shared further and wider because it's not about how many, in my view, it's not about how many uh, more wind turbines we build you know, or how many solar, more solar panels we need. That's still surface level change. Yes, we do need energy, of course we do. No one can refute that. But at the same time, we've got to go within ourselves to find out what is the root cause of our of the pain and suffering in our lives mm -hmm. before we can even begin to touch on dealing and engaging fully with what, what we see in the world around us. And I think that's, that's 
it's not totally missing from the conversation because lots of people are saying that. However, I I don't believe that you can go out and try and solve a problem out there when you when 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 if your personal world is in crisis, if your family's in crisis, you know, and and through the film work that I do, uh, filming spiritual teachers, um, indigenous elders, and hosting screenings like we're doing tonight for um, for Candlelight Cinema. When we engage a community in a certain way, and film's a brilliant tool for doing that because we can bring through different viewpoints and perspectives and then engage the audience. Mm-hmm. And that, that for me is, is you know, the, the making of the films is 50% of, of, of the job. You know, make a great film, that's, that's fine, good. That's, that's half of it. The other half is the conversation it sparks with the audience and then where it goes from there. That's the really exciting... Them, yeah. yeah, that's the really exciting point. So we've created this little forum you know, when we made a Luna, we, we, we thought it was going to change the world. We still hope it will change the world uh, with the Kogis. Um, but it became very apparent that we're just swamped with information, with media, mm-hmm. pretty much you know, all of our waking hours, however many hours you are awake in a day, right? <laughs> and so it became really apparent that we needed to consistently release conscious and positive messages both in film and other formats on an ongoing basis more or less forever mm-hmm. and so we create so as well as new production projects that we're working on we created this little forum called candlelight cinema where we bring communities together again to enjoy share um, and be inspired by inspirational films and by doing so the spark at the heart of each community we hope can, can be reinvigorated a little bit again and we can become aware of how connected we truly are because I think there's a, there's a bit of a, a danger that yes we are more connected than ever before but sometimes we can hide behind an email or be swamped by so many emails that we're yeah. actually losing the human connection and so, the, so these nights are about uh, in, engaging with that human connection and um, I was with a uh, a Native American um, elder in, in Ireland um, last year and he explained to me how uh, a decision-making process works in a native tribe and he said it's, it's very different here he, he, his opening question was John Paul do you think you live in a democracy and I was like yeah of course yeah sure you know, I mean, you know yeah, yeah. everyone votes or most people vote mm-hmm. uh, vote and uh, and then the, the most popular party gets in and they, they look after the interests of, of the rest of the country and those important decisions that need to be made you might laugh at that actually you know maybe that doesn't quite work as well as it does it should do but um what he explained was actually in a in a in a decision making process um in a native tribe um that wouldn't be considered democracy because that's yes that's the majority of people's vote but there's what happens to all of the other people who didn't vote for them where are their voices and he says so it isn't actually a democracy it's an enforced democracy it's not a true democracy um, and in a true democracy, in a, in, a, in a tribal land, basically, you can't define how long a meeting of the, the tribe would take. And I asked him why. He said, well, it's simple, because everybody has got a voice and you stay at, at the meeting for as long as you need for everybody's voice to be heard. And the job of the, the chief or the elder guiding that process is not to enforce his or her belief, or the beliefs of a few, but actually to guide the process so that actually everybody has a say. And from that, actually, I feel that 
real healing can come from, mm -hmm. you know, and real insights beyond kind of this this rigid rigid structure. Um, you know, the counter argument of that obviously is well that wouldn't work on a on a national scale. But I think truly when when we can in, engage with each other at, at, at first and foremost, then we can spark something inside of us which actually creatively it creates a, a, mm -hmm. a different way of looking at things and if that is passionate and the fire is burning bright enough then that can get that can that can just spread anywhere just like you see in, in social media mm. with with viral videos right now obviously you've had great opportunity been all over the world and things and i heard an interview saying uh after you screened i think it was a lunar the chief saying it's not it's ending in despair where's the hope it's only a few on an overarching theme have sort of that sense of optimism, pessimism or hope or despair or where on that border do you feel we are at the moment? Yeah, per personally I, I, I always have hope and you know, I wouldn't get up in the morning and, uh, and, do, and do what I do often against great resistance from, from the world around, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so yeah, I, I always follow the, follow the path of hope. Uh, I know there's others out there James Lovelock, the, the British scientist, is um, much more pessim pessimistic than I am and says actually we've passed the point of no return mm -hmm. and all signs are showing as a result of climate change we've probably got about 100 years left on the planet um, as a, a global society in the way it currently is. I think it be whether that's true or not, I think if you fully subscribe to that then it doesn't leave much space for hope and optimism <laughs> and naturally I'm more hopeful and not optimistic about yeah. that. Um, I was having a similar conversation at the Paris Climate Talks with a, with a Native American elder called um, Teo Kassin Ghost Horse and he asked me directly, he said, Jean-Paul what do you feel about hope? And I said well actually hope is the one thing that actually gets me through the day. If I, if I don't have it I find it very difficult to do anything if I do have it, then it's kind of like my bedrock. And he said, oh, that's very interesting. I said, well, why? Mm. He said, well, actually, in our culture, we don't have hope. I said, what do you mean you don't have hope? How can you survive without saying hope? And he said, well, actually, hope, hope is a phrase. It's, it's, part of, it's a word which actually refers to the future. I'm mm -hmm. hopeful for. Mm -hmm. I'm hopeful for this. And actually, all, it, all it's, it's doing is in the Lakota tradition is putting something between you, me, mm -hmm. and what I, what I am supposed to be doing. And he asked me to chew over that for a little <laughs> while because it kind of, you know, it spun, it spun my head a bit. Yeah. So since, since that conversation, I have been thinking about it and uh, on reflection, looking at it again, I, I, it, it was a really powerful conversation because I, I was thinking, yeah, actually, I'm spending a lot of my time thinking, if I do this and da, 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 and all of these different things, then I'll get to this film that I want to do or this place I want to go yeah. to to actually engage and do what I feel passionately I should be doing. And if I, I'm still a hopeful person, by the way, but actually, if I, if I take the conditions that I think are necessary that give me hope away, mm -hmm. then actually there is something in that philosophy or that way of looking at things that makes me just get on with things rather than thinking oh I'm hopeful for something that yeah. may or may not happen mm -hmm. so that was yeah that was an interesting conversation I thought yeah I remember hearing something Tony Juniper saying you should 
similar, I guess, you, uh, especially in the activist alternative movement, that you're using enthusiasm as like a resource and not relying solely on it, which I guess maybe stems from a similar, similar angle. Yeah, I think, I think you know, if you if you're a conscious person, a conscientious person, someone who is awakened or awakening to the pain and suffering in the world, then there's going to come a point where you start to ask questions and engage in whatever way is right for you, whatever kind of person you are, whatever floats your boat, whatever you're inspired by and, and uh, is, is aligned with, with what you want to get involved in. But what I would say is at some point, probably in the world as it is right now, there will come a point where you've actually got, you run out of energy and you run out of enthusiasm and you experience a level of pain and despair which is present in the world at the moment and then it becomes really important to actually and, and totally valid to be able to manage yourself and your energy and what you're going through, usually with a good support group of, of friends or colleagues around you to actually be able to process that in a certain way so that you can maybe take a step back recharge and then re-engage maybe yeah. even in a new way okay. um, that's totally the, uh, that's happened to me many times and I see it happening to friends and, and, and colleagues all the time mm. you know so yeah enthusiasm's totally totally um, vital but actually the management over that of that enthusiasm over the long term is mm. is what's required but interestingly when we show the kind of films that we're showing the response we get from a, a kind of a, an, an older audience is completely different than a younger audience an older audience will often be quite a cerebral response mm -hmm. like oh who, you know we've seen the film this is what the kogis are saying i believe this bit or not yeah. this bit and what why do they wear the hats they do what what's their culture like so it's, it's kind of inquiring along those lines whereas young people are totally different they this is obviously massive generalizations <laughs> here but i've experienced it time and time yeah. again and young people will with positive content they will be saying jean paul we know this already of course we know this mm -hmm. It's obvious. Now, what can we do about it? And then we're immediately into a whole different yeah. ball game. And yeah. I think it's hugely encouraging to see that. And part of what I see the role of the media that we're making and the media in general is how that how we can encourage that spark to either ignite in young people or continue to remain aflame, mm -hmm. rather than dumbing down and just going for the the lowest common denominator of cheap entertainment because yeah. people don't just want cheap entertainment we want to feel valued we want to feel loved we want to feel nourished we want to be inspired and i think mm. the media's job is to do that and it does in many ways but i think it can do even better well thank you very much for listening to the podcast hopefully you made it this far if you did you're a legend and i'm not just talking to myself but even if I am, that's great because I still spoke to John Paul, which was wonderful. Uh, if you see me around Oldley Edge or Manchester, feel free to give me a hug or I'll give you a hug. I've been told I'm quite a good hugger. So there's that. If you want to know more about The Yard, go on our website, theyardontheedge.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all the usual suspects. And in the meantime, before we see you again, keep living consciously. Peace and love from The Yard. Bye.